I'm reading from the English Standard Version, so we may uh, have it off the screen so that what I read isn't confusing. Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. And between the throne and the four and living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. You may be seated. In their movie, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, King Arthur and his knights come upon... Hey, where are you going? <laughs> King Arthur and his knights come upon the cave of Carabinog, the home of the black beast of Arg. Arg. Good name for a beast. Yeah, I know. The cave has a garden beast with nasty, big, pointy teeth. And when they come to the cave, they discover that beast is a rabbit. And after laughing at it, Arthur sends a knight to kill the rabbit. But it is the knight who dies, decapitated by the rabbit. And then knights attack and are routed. And King Arthur shouts, retreat. The rabbit 
has his own Wikipedia article. And it includes the line, the killer rabbit is a fictional character in the Monty Python film. So for all of you who are, who are afraid that the rabbit of Carabinog was real, that's comforting news. The article also says, the rabbit is now used as a metaphor for something ostensibly harmless, which is in fact deadly, like a lamb. In this passage in Revelation, we see the lamb of God, Jesus, but not as we're used to considering him, but as a judge, who is about to unleash a series of devastating plagues on earth. The lamb is deadly. So chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation belong together as a single unit of text. We see the worship of God in 4 verse 11, of the lamb in 5.12, and worship of both in 5.13. But there's a song sung to the Lamb in chapter 5, verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Now, at first blush, this reads like a celebration of his work of redemption. But it is, in fact, an affirmation of his role as a judge of mankind. But we'll get there when we get to it in the text. Um, before heading into these two chapters, let me preface this by saying that there are many details here that beg symbolic interpretation and we could easily get hung up on them. Various people have various opinions on these things, but that's okay. They have meaning for their original readers, and we needn't expect to know uh, what they mean today. Most of what we read in, in these chapters aren't symbols anyway. They're just John trying to capture in inadequate words what he saw. And we would do well not to get lost in the study of words, but to let the words paint a picture and try as best we can to see what John saw. Okay? That's true of all visions in the Bible. Visions means to see. So in this text, just try to see. So chapter 4. Um, verse 1, after this, He's just received the letter, seven, seven letters to the churches, and now he sees a vision in heaven. He sees a door open, and Jesus himself calls him through the door. And the first thing he sees is a throne with one seated on it. Now, it's important for us to know that God is the Lord of everything that happens in Revelation. In the story of the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy and her three friends are granted an audience one at a time with the wizard. And to each, he appears, respectively, as a great head, a beautiful fairy, a ball of fire, and a terrible monster. 
but he's soon revealed as a humbug. Ordinary man using props and tricks to make it appear that he was a great and powerful wizard. Noise without substance. Not like these passages. The greatness and the majesty of God is the real thing. He really is the Lord Almighty. And the one on the throne had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. Precious stones are all John can think of to compare him to. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald, like a precious stone, like a sun dog around the brilliance of the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments and with golden crowns on their heads. Now, who are these 24 elders? We don't know. And you're going to hear that phrase from me a lot as we go through Revelation. But I think it's fair to tell you what I think, and just remember that is what I think, not hard and fast truth. Many think that it's the 12 patriarchs and 12 apostles. But the tribes listed in Revelation 7 are different than the 12 historical tribes of Israel. Okay, where's Dan, for example? Where's Ephraim? Ephraim. Okay. The tribes are listed five times in the Bible, and in no two cases are they identical. So I don't think it's uh, 12 tribes. Others think that the 24 mirror the 24 bands of priests that serve in the tabernacle and in the temple, according to 1 Chronicles, verse 25. I think that the 24 are angels. And in this, the commentaries that I studied agree with me. The, the armies of heaven are also dressed in white in Revelation 19. White is the garb of angels throughout the New Testament. The word thrones is used of spiritual beings. Thrones are powers, rulers, or authorities in Colossians 1. God is sometimes even seen in counsel in heaven. Consulting who? Psalm 89, 6 and 7. Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the Holy One and awesome above all who are around him. Micaiah the prophet describes in 1 Kings 22 the Lord on his throne with angels to his right and left and asking for input. Angels are actually called elders in Isaiah 24, 23 and so on. I think the 24 angels are um, angels who rule under the lordship of God. Now, um, consider an example from Narnia to those who are familiar with the books. You have the emperor over the sea and his son Aslan, the Nor lord of Narnia. You have this, the dynasty of kings, Caspian and Rillian and so on. And in between... You have Peter and Evan and Susan and Lucy, kings and queens whose rule is greater than Caspian and company, but under the rule of Aslan. So we have God, we have mankind, the lords of creation, and in between those angels that rule. So concentric circles of reign. So that's, that's what I think. 
Verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. You will hear that phrase several times in Revelation. At the seventh seal, seven trumpets, and seventh bowl, they all end with a description like that. On Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, with the presence of God, there is thunder and flashes of light, lightning. I think Exodus 19, actually. Also in verse 5, before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. In 5 or 6, seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. 1 verse 4, the seven spirits who are before his throne. And I talked about this in my second sermon on Revelation, so I won't do that here, except to say this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal, kind of like a parking lot on a cold February day, but more beautiful. How many, how many of you have something of crystal at home? Nobody. Ah, there we are. Um, Revelation 15, verse 2 says, I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. How many of you have opals at home? Opals are fascinating. The color changes depending on the angle at which you look at it, like fire in the gem. John saw something like this, but as a sea before the throne of God. Now, if you had trouble visualizing what John saw up to this point, we'll have real trouble with this. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, what is meant by the four faces, say it with me, we don't know. All kinds of uh, interpretations, but we just, we just don't know. But these faces and other, other parts of this vision show up several times in Scripture. And I won't take time to go through them all with you. It's on the back of your bulletin insert, by the way. But briefly, Exodus 24, verse 10, Moses and the elders see a vision of God sitting on, quote, a pavement of sapphire like the very heaven for clearness. Isaiah 6, the prophet sees a vision of God with angels with six wings calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In Ezekiel, in chapter 1, you have the four faces of a human ox, lion, and eagle, angelic beings with wings, and this time wheels, but with eyes all around and the likeness of its expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystals. 
Now, there are differences and similarities in these visions that we don't have time to get into now, except to say that when God shows himself to people, they see very much what John saw. And they say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. This is God. This is who created us. This is the one by whose will we even exist at all. Like Shakespeare is to Hamlet. Like Homer is to Achilles. Like Hugo to Valjean. Chapter 5. On the right hand of him who sits on the uh, sits on the throne rests a scroll sealed with seven seals, and it is the scroll of judgment. And an angel calls in a loud voice, verse 2, who is worthy to open the scrolls and break its seals? Present yourself. But no one, not man, not angels, not the four living creatures, not the 24 elders, no one steps forward. And John weeps loudly, for there is none to judge the enemies of God, no one to execute his plans for humanity, no one to sit on the judge's bench to condemn the criminals and rescue the righteous, no one to sit as king and to establish justice and to quell those who are rebels. It looks like evil will continue, unchecked. But wait, an elder said to John, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, back in Genesis 49, verse 9, Jacob blesses his sons and says this of Judah. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until it comes to whom it belongs. And to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. Now the lion of the tribe of Judah has come. In Isaiah 11, verse 1, the house of David is compared to a fallen tree, but from his roots, a Messiah will come. Now the Messiah is here. And John turns to see this lion, expecting a strong beast, but instead he sees a lamb, and it looks as if it had been slain. That is, he sees a lamb with its throat cut. The lamb was the main imagery for the Passover feast where the blood of the lamb on the doorpost meant that the angel of death passed over the home and the life of the firstborn in the home was saved. In Isaiah 53, the Savior is described as a lamb led to the slaughter. It's the blood of the lamb that saves and it's the cutting of a throat that killed him. 
John sees a lamb with his throat cut, and it's, of course, a gruesome sight. The lamb has seven horns, symbolizing strength. He also has seven eyes. Zechariah 4, verse 10. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which reigns through the whole earth. So the seven eyes of the Lord are now the seven eyes of the lamb. And he takes the scroll of judgment from him who sits on the throne. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, said Jesus. And as soon as he takes the scroll, the living creatures and the elders fall down before him as they did before the one who sits on the throne and worship him. Let me call you back to the picture. Visualize this. A throne is in heaven of mind-blowing majesty like precious stones. So brilliant it's got a rainbow around it. A sea of glass like crystal mixed with fire. Celestial beings, themselves awesome, falling down in abject worship. All heaven, all angels wait, waiting with bated breath. John weeping until a lamb appears near the throne and approaches him who is worshipped, takes a scroll from his hand, and is himself worshipped by the awesome elders and the living creatures and all living things. Now, even as I wrote this, I couldn't paint a mental picture, and this on the screen behind me pales, pales, but and all the angels worship. Worthy is a lamb, was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then all creatures, men and angels, worship both the one who sits on the throne and the lamb with the same breath. They consider them equally worthy and ascribe to them both blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures say amen to 24 elders worship. This is an amazing, amazing thing. Maybe especially for John, who walked this earth with Jesus of Nazareth, the Lamb of God, to now see Jesus as he really is, with heaven erupting in worship of him. Now, let's backtrack to verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you were ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. These verses, 9 and 10, are the theological center of the whole book of Revelation. All of Revelation is an outworking of these two verses. Christ was slain to redeem his church. By his blood, he bought us and presented us to God. We were reigned with Christ. Wonderful, too wonderful for us to imagine until we get to the other side. But what did his death enable him to do? What were the facts that he was slain make him worthy to do? Worthy are you to take the scrolls and to open its seals. And what was in the scroll 
with his seals. Read chapter 6. As the lamb opens his seals, one by one, God's judgment falls. The earth, and in Revelation, the, uh, the enemies of God are described as those who dwell on the earth. The earth, the earth experiences death, slaughter, killing by famine and wild beasts and disease. Death and Hades are given authority over a fourth, 25% of the earth. The created order shakes. The sun and moon become black and red. There's an earthquake. The sky disappears. I've quoted this before, and I shouldn't quote it anymore because it's hard to say. But 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7 talks about the Lord Jesus, who is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey, note that word, obey, the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Because our testimony to you was believe. We are not invited to accept the gospel. It is something to be obeyed. Jesus is Lord. You can live in submission to that fact. Or you can rebel against it, but you are not invited to take or leave it. Paul said this to the crowd in Athens. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he had appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so for all who disobey the gospel, Revelation 6, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Jesus is judge as well as Savior. You cannot be saved unless there's something to be saved from. And this book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. He will redeem people by judging those who live on the earth. He will judge the world systems that set themselves against God. He will judge Satan and demons and consign them to internal destruction. He will judge those who killed the martyrs. The whole book is the outworking of the fact that he is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Now, he's a lion of the tribe of Judah, but it's by virtue of his lambness, he who has slain, that he earns the right to judge. It is by his death that he redeemed the church by taking on sin and death, emerging out the other side. His death 
is the dividing line between blessing and judgment. Save people and life on one side, unsaved and death and sin and Satan on the other. Before I came to Calgary in 2000, um, I worked at a hockey rink and I drove a Zamboni. How many of you wish you drove a Zamboni? I did. My father-in-law, uh, who was a pastor for decades, um, thought it was way cooler that I drove the Zamboni that I was a pastor. But at the rink, I was talking to my boss about God, and he said something I will never forget. He said, I believe there's a God, but it doesn't matter to me what he's like or what he wants. And about 10 years later, I had the same conversation with a guy who said, sure, I believe there's a chance that the gospel is real, but I can't be bothered to explore it. I'm busy enough. Friends, there is nothing that matters more than exploring whether gospel is real and submitting to it. So here's the gospel. God is Lord over all, but we have all decided to be Lord of ourselves. A non-smoking campaign a few years ago said uh, their tagline was, I am the owner of me. Well, we're not. God is. But every time we choose what we want over what God wants, we say, I'm Lord. We call that sin. And it cuts us off from relationship with God and puts us in the path of his wrath. We're objectively guilty. But Jesus, God's own son, the lamb, freely gave his life at the hands of sinful man, separating himself from God and bearing the wrath of God. And God commands us, commands us to accept his death on our behalf and so to step again under his lordship and to receive forgiveness. If we do not, then we are responsible for the payment of our own sin. And you just got to read Revelation to find out what that's like. So you've got a choice, right? Obey or rebel. There's no middle ground. Your decision has eternal cosmic consequences. And that's why Joseph's baptism last week was such a big deal. He put himself under the blood of the lamb, not under the judgment of the lamb. The judgment of the lamb is terrible. But his grace is just as great. For his death, that makes him worthy to judge, was for you, was for us. The same death that enables him to judge is the very death that allows you to escape that judgment. You can be redeemed and ransomed for God, or you can be among those who dwell on the earth and estranged from God. Now, if today is the day that you need to respond to that, talk to somebody you trust. Talk to me. Talk to Freddie. 
the Calgary Flames guy. But do it, do it today. Obey or rebel. You choose. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, oh Lamb of God, you gave your life for us. We saw mind-blowing than even this picture of heaven that we saw. We don't know what it means that you, the Son of God, gave your life for us. We don't know, but we're thankful for it. And for us who have chosen to obey, we say thank you. It's by your grace that we can obey. You have well, turned our lives around. You have given us life. And for those who are in a state of rebellion this morning, even if they don't know it, to ignore Jesus is to rebel against him, even if they don't know it. I pray, I pray that you, by your spirit, would stir their hearts to accept Jesus on this day and find life starting today. I pray for that. And for the rest of us, well, and for all of us, help, help us to go this morning with an awareness of your grace and to live in response to it. We thank you. We're amazed by you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.